0: Luke chapter 2, a very familiar passage that chronicles the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 2. and We will be reading from verses 1 through 20. And if you have any children who are, uh, uh, still uh, would like to join for the uh, children's ministry, their Sunday school, that they can go to at this time. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. The scriptures read, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night, and the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Let's bow together in a word of prayer before we begin our study. Our Father in heaven, we come before your word once again. Father, we pray that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we might see great and mighty things from thy precious word. We give you thanks, O God, illumine our minds, grant to us understanding. And I pray, God, may you be honored. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we look at perhaps one of the most familiar passages in all of the Bible, Luke chapter 2 here. Here. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14 in particular, are read every year on national television. If you watch Charlie Brown's Christmas, because it is played, and Linus is the one who is explaining the meaning of Christmas. This particular event in the history is a true story of hope, a true story of fulfillment, a true story of the fulfillment of prophecy that is given by God himself. And according to Pew Research, about nine in ten Americans, nearly all uh, Christians as well, celebrate Christmas. But Christmas hasn't always been celebrated in the history of the church. In fact, in the first few hundred years of the church, the church didn't celebrate Christmas. Some of the early church fathers, including one particular named Origen, he taught and argued that birthdays of saints and birthdays of martyrs, including Jesus, should not be celebrated because it was a pagan custom that celebrated birthdays, not a Christian one. In fact, he argued that, in fact, Christians ought to celebrate the day of their martyrdom rather than their birthday, as it was a sign that they had been faithful until the very end. We don't know when the early church exactly began to celebrate Christmas. There's a debate even over how the 25th was chosen. Some say it was to present an alternative to a particular pagan holiday, celebrating the birthday of the conquered sun, a number of sun gods, and so the church provided an alternative to that. Others say, well, it was nine months after March 25th when the church believed that was the conception of the Lord Jesus, and after March nine months would end up to be December 25th, but whatever the history of Christian practice when it comes to the celebration of Christmas, it is often overshadowed in our society and in our culture by the commercialism that we all experience, the self-indulgent celebrations that we have today. Pew Research says, again, among Americans overall, about half say they celebrate Christmas as more of a religious holiday, while roughly a third say it's more of a cultural holiday to them personally. Why? Because I think, oftentimes, the meaning of Christmas has been overshadowed or lost in the festivities of the time. Much like the common story that you've probably heard of, of the baby party that was being thrown by a well-to-do couple. There were many guests that were invited. There was a lot of food that was presented. There was a lot of music. There was a lot of fun. Look, many guests were invited to the party and everyone was enjoying everyone else's company until someone asked, where is the baby? Everyone began to look around and frantic search was made for the child. No one knew until, tragically, they found the baby in the bedroom. It was in the bedroom on the bed but it had been all covered up by all of the coats and all of the rain gear and all of the purses that had been tossed on the bed, covering up that little baby and suffocating that little baby. Everyone was so enthralled with the party that they had forgotten about the reason for the celebration, and that was of the birth of the baby. And so this morning we come to this particular passage in order that we might remember the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we don't lose sight of why we celebrate Christmas. Because the birth of a child in any family ought to bring tremendous joy. The birth of a child that is born, there are hopes and dreams attached to the future of that child and what that child will bring and what that child will mean. And especially to this baby, the baby that was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the name of that city, meaning house of bread. And very appropriate because Jesus would later call himself the bread of life. The one who gives life is born in the city that is the house of bread. So he comes and he is born, destined to fulfill the hopes, destined to fill the dreams of all those who were looking for a Messiah who would be born that day. And so this morning we look at the birth of Christ, the announcement of Christ, as well as the shepherds and their response to the message of Christ. In verses 1, we look at the birth of Christ, for it says there, now in the days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all of the inhabited earth. Now, many of you are familiar with the Christmas story this Christmas account, and you remember a man named Herod. And you also remember that a census, as is spoken of here, was taken by Caesar Augustus. So who is in charge? After all, here are two rulers. Well, the answer is both. Caesar Augustus was the emperor And King Herod was the king over the local area. Both were alive at the same time. King Herod would die a few years later. But it was Caesar Augustus who had ordered this census that would be taken. The census would be taken of all of the known world at that time. His original name was Octavius. He was the grand-nephew of Julius Caesar, and Julius Caesar had taken favor upon his grand-nephew, and when Julius Caesar passed away, well, Julius Caesar had placed him, Octavius, in his will as Caesar's son and as his heir, and his name was then changed to Gaius Julius Caesar. In 27 BC, later on, the Roman Senate gave Octavian, Octavian, the title of Augustus, which meant magnificent or highly revered. So he became known as Caesar, the Magnificent One. And it was this Caesar, the Magnificent One, or Caesar Augustus, who formerly was ruthless, but then began some reforms and he gained power and he administered the Roman... Empire and organized the military in a very wise manner, and he made all sorts of progress in terms of the Roman Empire, calling adultery a crime. He respected the customs and religions of the people insofar as they didn't conflict with Rome. He encouraged cleaner literature. He was a great builder and all sorts of things. He became known as the father of the country, the Caesar Augustus. But even though He did all of these good things. Well, he still saw himself as the highest priest as he adopted that title. He saw himself as an individual to be worshipped. But even though he saw himself as that, God used him. God used him to usher in what was known as the Pax Romana or the Roman peace that would come about that time. And that was significant because after Jesus died and rose again and the gospel began to spread about who Jesus was, that Roman peace around the Roman Empire along with the Roman roads allowed the message of Jesus and allowed the message of the gospel to spread very quickly throughout the empire as missionaries and people would travel bringing the message of Christ. And even though he was an individual who did not know God, God used him to bring about the fulfillment of prophecy in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which says, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. God uses the decrees of leaders, who don't even bow the knee to God himself. God uses their decrees to accomplish his purposes, whether it be Pharaoh in the book of Exodus, whether it be Nebuchadnezzar to to cause judgment to come upon the southern kingdom of Judah, whether it be Pontius Pilate, whether it be Caesar, as we see in the scriptures, God uses people who are leaders to ultimately fulfill his will, and Caesar's decree Caesar's decree of the census that had be taken would bring Joseph and Mary back to Bethlehem where Christ would be born. In verse 3, it says, "...Joseph went to be registered. He also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David." Back then, it was very important for the Jew to understand and know their line of descent, where they were from. And Joseph was of the line of King David. In First Samuel 20, verse 6, it is called David's city. David probably tended sheep there. He played his harp probably in the fields nearby. It was around where Ruth was, etc. And so they traveled to Bethlehem. Now they traveled to Bethlehem in a long journey, about 90 miles. And for Joseph, a young man in his teenage years, it probably wouldn't have been too arduous of a journey. But here he took Mary, his young wife, an early teen, 90 miles in her third trimester of her pregnancy. Considerable distance, probably during the rainy season, to come to Bethlehem. Mary went with him. One commentator says Mary accompanied Joseph for several reasons. The couple knew she would have the baby during that time that Joseph was gone, and they most likely did not want to be separated for the event. Also, both of them knew that Christ, or the child, was the Messiah, They also would have known that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2, and so Mary accompanied Joseph along to be with him, so that when she gave birth, she would give birth in Bethlehem, that they not be separated, and that they might fulfill that which was prophesied of them. And we see in verse 6, it says, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Her firstborn son, the implication is she had other children later on, but the most important child who would ever be born in all of mankind. Here Jesus was. Jesus was wrapped in cloths. It was the tradition of that time try to keep the limbs straight, that was the belief, and because there was no room in the inn, he was laid in a manger. And a manger was not, likely not these wooden boxes that you might see in some of these nativity scenes. A manger was more likely a square, rectangular, I should say, piece of stone that had a carved out trough for the animals to eat in. He was born laid in a manger because there was no room in the inn. A humble birth from a humble mother in a humble city named Bethlehem. There was a missionary to Tibet. He was a British man. His name was Geoffrey Bull. There is an account of him being cold and exhausted and hungry because he was caught up in 1949, when the Communists took over China, and his future didn't look good at all. His captors drove him night and day across the frozen mountains when he was captured by the Communists in Tibet. He was driven until he felt like he simply did not want to live anymore. They drove him, they walked him, until he could not care. But one afternoon, they brought him into a small village this missionary that was out there. and He was given an upstairs room, an upstairs room that had been swept clean. It was warmed by a small charcoal fire. And then after he was given a little bit of food to eat, he was sent downstairs to feed all of the horses. And it was dark, it was cold, and he clambered down this tree trunk that was notched so he could get down to the lower floor and found himself in pitch blackness in which he was supposed to feed these horses. He was wearing boots and he could feel all of the manure that he squashed while he was walking down there on the straw on the floor as well. The smell of the animals was nauseating to him The horses would make noise, their tails would be drooping, and yet here this missionary was expecting, perhaps he would get kicked at any moment, to feed and tend to these horses, and he was lonely, he was sick, he was tired, and he began to feel sorry for himself and all the misery that he had endured because he was a prisoner. He writes, Then as I continued to grope my way in the darkness, it suddenly flashed in my mind, What's today? I thought for a moment. In traveling, the days had become a little muddled in my head. Suddenly, it came to me. It's Christmas Eve. I stood suddenly still, he writes in that Oriental manger, to think that my Savior was born in a place like this, to think that he came all the way from heaven to some wretched Eastern stable and what is more to think is that he came for me. How men beautify the cross and the crib as if to hide the fact that at birth we resign him to the stench of beasts and at death exposed him to the shame of rogues. I returned to the warm, clean room which I enjoyed even as a prisoner and bowed in thankfulness and worship. The inn was full that Mary and Joseph came to. The inn was full and the innkeeper said, there is no room, there is no room for Jesus. He was relegated to be born among the stench of animals in which there were probably more animals who witnessed his birth than perhaps people. The lives of people perhaps are very much the same way. The lives of people that we run into where Jesus is relegated to a small part of their life, in some corner, only to be seen or visited on a rare occasion. Week after week, perhaps there is no thought of Jesus in their own hearts or their own lives. Week after week, this birth is merely forgotten. Week after week, he is, to them, not important at all. We say we love the story of Christ's birth, but the question is, is there room in my life for him? Is that your life? There is a hymn that we sing, thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown, when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home was found no room for thy holy nativity. O come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for thee. Heaven's arches rang when the angels sang, proclaiming thy holy and royal decree. But of lowly birth didst thou come to earth, and in great humility, O come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for thee. Jesus came to a humble town, to a humble family, born in a humble stable. And the question for you and I is, is there room in your heart for the Lord Jesus to receive him or not this Christmas? The announcement of Christ came. The announcement of Christ comes in verse 8 through 14 to some shepherds. For verse 8 says, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the field and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terribly frightened. The angel said, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you, number one, good news of great joy, which will be for all people For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Isaiah 61 verse 1 tells us that Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor and that is what he did. These shepherds that this announcement was made to, these shepherds were considered of those who were the lowliest, among the lowliest classes of people. They were considered unclean, the most common job that one could find back then. They were looked down upon by the religious establishment of that day because why? They could never keep all of the fastidious laws that the Pharisees had made. They were considered as thieves or people who were untrustworthy. Their civil rights, some of them, were taken away, and they were not allowed to be a witness in court because they were considered untrustworthy. Shepherds did menial, small tasks. Many times they were poorly educated. Many times they were poorly paid. Many times they were not very skilled in much else other than the tending of sheep. In the Jewish society, on the social ladder, as far as it goes, they were one of the lowliest. They couldn't keep the Sabbath. They couldn't keep to what the laws were, that were made by men. It is to this group, it is to this group, that the Lord Jesus' birth was announced, because his proclamation had come to this humble group of shepherds. And their response was that they believed the message. The message was that of good news, of good news, that is the announcement of glad tidings. It comes from the word evangel, from which we get the word evangelism, the sharing of good news, of great joy. It is tremendous joy. News of a Savior. News of a Savior because 400 years earlier, there was a prophecy in the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, in the last chapter there, that there would be a Savior who would come, the Son of Righteousness would come, and there would be joy, and light, and the hope. And after 400 years, the birth of Jesus would bring great joy, which will be for all the people. Whether you're young or old, respective of your background, no matter what or who you are, this news was for everyone. It was news that would bring great joy to the heart. Why? Because a Savior, it says, who is Christ the Lord. A savior who would save his people from the penalty and the judgment of sin, because we are all sinners, deserving of punishment and separation from God for eternity. But this baby who would be born to die would bring great hope for the future, in life after death, for all of eternity in heaven. And then he gives a sign. A sign would be a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger this message would come to them with one angel and then a flash of a heavenly host who would sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. That is the preferred translation, by the way, as opposed to many times when they think peace on earth and goodwill towards men. No, it is on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Peace on earth among whom he is pleased. Jesus came to bring peace. He came to bring peace, but that peace is a gift. It is a gift in the heart. No matter what one's circumstances are in life, no matter what one's situation is in life, no matter what your health may be, no matter what your finances may be, no matter your family situation, Christ came to bring peace. It is a peace that transcends understanding, a peace that rises above your circumstances in life that only God can give. And it is a peace that is a gift only to those whose relationship with God is made right, only to those who have placed their faith and their trust in God, in Christ, who was born, who died on the cross to pay for the penalty of sin, who was raised on the third day and promises to all who would turn from their sin to following Jesus, who would grant to them forgiveness of sin, who would grant to them eternal life if they will only place their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus. And when one does, he grants to them that gift of peace because he is well pleased with them. Peace only comes in the heart, a peace that is supernatural as a gift from God because there is no peace There is no peace in the heart of one who has rejected God. There is no standard of peace by which transcends understanding to give unto those who have rejected Him, whom have turned their backs on God. No, there is no peace. Oh, there might be periods of time when there is tranquility or contentment, but it is not a lasting peace because the world has a peace that will bring trouble eventually because it is dependent upon what happens in life. But Jesus brings a peace because one knows they are at peace with God. Much like when one is about to die and about to pass away from this life, many, many people make their peace with God at that time, asking God to save them from their sins. But you can have that peace today You can have that peace right now and experience that peace and that joy and that love that only God gives as a gift to all who receive their son as their Lord and Savior. So we see the birth of Christ. We see the announcement of peace given to these humble shepherds. And then we see what the shepherds did in verse 15 to 20. When the angels had gone away, verse 15, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they ran in a hurry, found their way to Mary and Joseph, and as the baby, he lay in the manger. The angel brought good news of great joy, the news of the Messiah who was born, the shepherds. How did they respond? The The angel didn't come just to give them information. The angel didn't come intending to simply let them know. The angel didn't come simply so they could muse and decide that they were just going to think about what they had heard. No, they said, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see. They saw Jesus. They told their parents all that they had experienced. They told of the angel's message, the appearance of the multitude, the angels. These men weren't shy about what they had seen and heard, no. Later on, they would proclaim what they had seen and heard, risking the ridicule as people who in society would have been rejected. No, they probably weren't considered in society's most credible people. But they didn't care. This was true. This was the message they had received, and this is the message that they told of a Savior who was born tonight. What about us? Are we like these shepherds who will do something about the message that we have heard, the message of a baby who was born, the message that brings great hope, the message of a Savior that would save people from their sins? Will we also tell others, just as we have sung, to go and tell it, around the world, on the mountain, whatever it may be. In Second Kings, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, the book of Second Kings, chapter 6, verse 24. In Second Kings, chapter 6, verse 24, there is a situation where the king of Aram besieges Samaria. In Second Kings, actually, chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 3 and following, 2 Kings chapter 7, there's a king who besieges this city called Samaria. And in chapter 6, it tells us that Samaria had a famine. And the famine in the land was so, so severe that the price of a donkey's head sold for more than $10,000 in verse 25 of chapter 6. But God's prophet, whose name was Elisha, came during this particular besiegement of Samaria and said, tomorrow, tomorrow the day will be better. And so, 2 Kings chapter 7, it continues on, where there are these four leprous men, and it says now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And these four leprous men said to one another, why do we sit here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, then the famine is in the city and we will die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come, let us go over to the camp of the Arameans. If they spare us, we will live. And if they kill us, we will but die. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Arameans. When they came to the camp of the Arameans, behold, no one was there. So here are these four lepers. They're sitting outside of the city of Samaria that has been Devastated by this famine, and everyone was starving. If we sit out here, we'll die. If we go inside the city, we'll die. If we go to the Arameans, perhaps they'll show to us mercy, and maybe we might live. But if not, well, we'll die anyways. So at twilight, they they got up and went to the camp and found no one there. This is what happened. For the Lord had caused the army of the Arameans to hear a sound of chariots and a sound of horses, even the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their donkeys, even the camp just as it was, and fled for their life. When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from them silver and gold and clothes and went and hid them. And they returned and entered another tent and carried away there also and went and hid them. So they came to this camp. It was empty, and they had food and water and plenty and all that they wanted, wine and gold and silver and clothes, and they took what they wanted. God had provided, but this is what they said. They said, continuing on to one another, quote, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go, and tell the king's household. The leper's who were the lowest of society, who weren't even included among the people, God presented to them this good news that there was food, that there was wine, that there was silver. And he had caused their enemies to flee from them. And they had begun to take part in what the enemy had left behind. But they said, no, we are not doing right. Today is a day of good news. Let us go and tell the king about the good news. And that's our responsibility as well. Today is a day of good news, a good news, just like the shepherds heard from the angels, good news of great joy, which will be for all the people, that a Messiah, a Savior, has been born, and we are to tell the good news. It says in verse 19, after Mary had heard the news from the shepherds, she treasured all of these things, pondered them in her heart, thought about them deeply, this passage indicates to us as well as in verse 51 of chapter 2 Mary didn't quite full understanding she didn't have quite the full understanding of the entire import of all that the angel said all that would happen to her child all of the plans and she perhaps pondered what the angel had said to Joseph not to leave her not to divorce her because she was with child pondered perhaps what Gabriel had said to her pondered her experience of 90 miles to Bethlehem pondered what the Shepherds had told her, thought about all of these things. And the shepherds, they went back, and they praised God for all that they had seen, all that they had experienced, just as they had been told. They didn't recoil at the fact that they're seen as those who were least credible, perhaps, in that society, just as the lepers in the book of Second Kings, They realize this is good news, and we have a responsibility to tell others. That is how Jesus came into this world, born into a humble town in Bethlehem, born to a humble family, Mary and Joseph, born and the news would come to these shepherds, a humble people in a humble stable. That was his welcome. Compare that to what Philip Yancey writes about the royal treatment that the world would give. When Queen Elizabeth II came to visit the United States in the early 1990s, she brought with her bodyguards. Queen Elizabeth brought with her a trumpet fanfare. There was bright clothes. There was flashing jewelry. She brought with her when she came to the United States roughly 4,000 pounds of luggage two outfits for every single occasion. She brought with her an outfit for mourning in case someone passed away. She brought with her 40 40 pints of plasma. She brought with her kid leather gloves, uh, toilet seat covers, fancy. A whole entourage, her own hairdresser, two valets, a host of other attendants, and a visit to a foreign country could easily top 20 million dollars, along with all of the news coverage that would be cast for Queen Elizabeth's visit. For the birth of Jesus, stark contrast, for perhaps more animals had witnessed his birth than people. In a stall, placed in a feeding trough, placed in a place that was rather obscure because there was no room for him in the inn. The question is for us, how much is Jesus a part of your Christmas? How much is Jesus a part of your life? What kind of reception does he take for you during this season of Christmas? For far too many people, far too many people in our world, they're much like the innkeeper, Much like the innkeeper who says, there is no room for Jesus in my life, simply relegating him to some corner in which they might visit him once or twice a year, or to enjoy the parties and the celebrations that Christmas is, and yet he becomes smothered by all of the coats and the festivities when people forget. Why are we celebrating this in the first place? How much is Jesus a part of your Christmas? For Jesus came as a baby born to die, that he might save you from your sin. That for all who would place their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, God grants to them forgiveness of sins. God grants to them eternal life when they come to ask of him in repentance, recognizing that they cannot save themselves from the penalty of eternal punishment and separation from God that only Jesus can save them. It is that message that we are to share, just like these shepherds, just like the lepers, who would say, today is a day of good news, that we might have peace among men with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we are so very blessed We are so very blessed to be messengers of good news, of great joy, which is to be for all people, that this day, the day of Jesus' birth, is cause for celebration because a Savior has been born. And I pray, God, that you would open hearts here, wide, O God, to the loving grace that Jesus brings, to the peace that he desires to give, to the joy that he desires to instill, that we might be able to live in peace with God, you, O Father, for all of eternity. It is a gift that is only given by you, and we pray, Father, that you would save many on this day, for around the world Christmas is celebrated, and we pray, God, that the true meaning of Christmas might dwell richly in our hearts today and in days to come. In Jesus' name, amen.